Welcome to Curiosity Cure the Kate. I'm your host, Kate Sahalis. In today's episode, I'll be sharing some thoughts about life post-COVID. And while we are still in the pandemic, I think it's important to start thinking about where we're headed and how we want to enter this next stage, rather than just diving in mindlessly and losing some of the lessons that hopefully we've learned along the way. So I really hope it inspires you to think about this in your own life. And as always, thank you for listening. So I'm sitting here today. It is a rainy Sunday. And rather than doing an interview, which I I love to do, one of my favorite things is to hear other people's stories, especially after the year that we've had and continue to have. Um, But the other part of my curiosity over the past year has been um, sort of on personal reflection. And one of the the questions that has been running through my head a lot over the past year is sort of where do we go after whatever the after is uh we're certainly there's there's hope right now there's a there's a light with um vaccines and and certain things starting to open up but i still feel in many ways like we're we're very much in it still uh and there's a desire a need to tread carefully. But I came upon this article that really sort of spoke to this question that I've been having, and I want to share it with you and and then share some thoughts about it. So the article is in uh, Greater Good Magazine, and I'll, I'll share this in the show notes, but it's um, written by Melissa DeWitt and her article is about research done by psychologist Jamil Zaki. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and it just came out on April 16th. So it's a relatively new article. Uh, and it's called, Can We Build a Better Normal After the Pandemic? So here we go. <clears throat> With the end of the pandemic in sight and a longing to return to some semblance of normalcy, Stanford psychologist Stanford psychologist Jamil Zaki thinks the harrowing experience of the past year is a unique opportunity to reset people's expectations about many aspects of society. Instead of simply returning to life before the pandemic, what if we could institute new personal and social norms that are more balanced, just, and equitable? Zaki believes a concept psychologists call growth through adversity may be key to defining what this new normal could look like. Instead of resilience, which is about bouncing back from disaster unchanged, growth through adversity is about finding ways to learn from those hardships and focus on what matters. Resilience is staying the course through a storm. Growth is charting a new course, Zaki said. I love that line. Resilience is staying the course through a storm. Growth is charting a new course. That's good. He points out that even before the pandemic upended our lives, much of what was considered normal in society was deeply problematic. People had been reporting feeling lonelier and more isolated than ever before. Economic inequality between the rich and poor has been soaring at an alarming rate. And profound uh, racial disparities have marred everything from employment to health and housing. 
the pandemic didn't create these problems. In some cases, it merely exposed them. In others, it exacerbated them. A stronger normal holds the adversity we're going through now up as a mirror, one that can clarify what we've been neglecting all along, said Zaki. Growth through adversity does not mean that people should be grateful to have been through trauma. Rather, the difficulty and pain that people experience can be an opportunity to reaffirm core values and beliefs. If a building is toppled by an earthquake, we probably wouldn't reconstruct exactly what was there before, said Zaki. We build back better. One way to recover stronger is to build upon all the empathy that the pandemic unearthed. For over 15 years, Zaki has studied how to celebrate how to, sorry, how to cultivate empathy, which he defines in his book, The War for Kindness, as people's ability to share, think, and care about each other's feelings. Empathy is not a fixed trait, he says, but is more like a skill that can grow and expand through experience. Disaster is one place where compassion and care emerge. As Rebecca Solnit and others have found, after disasters, people band together finding ways to help and comfort strangers. Suffering together, they develop a sense of shared identity, purpose, and solidarity, Zaki said. Like other disasters, such as tsunamis and earthquakes, war and terror attacks, the COVID-19 crisis has repeatedly shown that amidst immense hardship, pain, and suffering, there has been incredible kindness. During disasters, people realize how much they need each other and want to help one another. Zaki points to how people created mutual aid groups through localized online spreadsheets to help their immunocompromised, elderly, or otherwise vulnerable neighbors. Even our adherence to crucial public health measures can express compassion. For instance, people were more willing to wear masks or practice social distancing when the actions were framed as a way to protect others rather than themselves. Another example is the massive collective effort that was required to train people to keep their distance from one another. Social distancing is probably the largest global act of cooperation in human history, Zaki said. He goes on to describe the good that goodwill and altruism that arise out of disasters are called catastrophe is called catastrophe compassion. Catastrophe compassion presents people with a view of ourselves that might surprise us driven by otherishness rather than by selfishness during crucially important moments. But as Zaki points out, after a disaster occurs and people return to their everyday lives, they tend to forget about the community they cared for. Instead of empathy disappearing as we return to normal life, can it define a new normal? One way to honor and extend this positive behavior is not to be surprised by it any longer, but instead to realize that pro-sociality is common and thus to expect and demand it from others and from ourselves. In a post-COVID world, that might mean making community service routine. It might involve connecting with estranged family members, switching careers to a more fulfilling job, or working from home more to spend time with family. It could also be something as simple as remembering all the acts of kindness that unfolded over the past year and reflecting on what they reveal about our society. While growth through adversity can be deeply personal, it can be applied at a social level as well to make the world a better place. A better normal also means more compassionate social structures. 
The changes could take various forms, for example, providing a living wage and adequate protections to essential workers, the people who have been held up as heroes of the pandemic, or offering better childcare policies to working mothers who experienced obstacles in the workplace long before the pandemic shouldered them with added responsibilities, or eliminating inequities in a healthcare system that contributed to more Black and Brown people dying during COVID, during the COVID-19 pandemic. These problems have been there for a long time. This painful moment can help us see them more clearly and turn that clarity into momentum and finally change. And he goes on to offer um, five practices that we could work into our daily routine. And he says that cultivating growth through adversity is about establishing new habits of mind. Rather than large, grandiose gestures, habits of mind entail the smaller everyday actions that in some can lead to a happier, more more connected life over time. So here are the five practices he suggests. Number one, pause before judging people who are different from yourself. Rather than focusing only on opinions or actions you disagree with, try to be curious about other people's stories. Hmm, that sounds familiar. (laughs) In ways in which their experiences might not be so different from your own. Two, ask more questions. Hmm. We often perspective take, thinking about how we'd feel in someone else's situation. This is well-intentioned, but can often lead us astray when we assume that their reactions would look like ours. Instead of imagining our way to empathy, Zaki suggests trying perspective getting, directly asking others what they are going through. That's true. Number three, build kindness into your routine. Each day or week, make sure to spend either time, energy, or possibly a little money on somebody else. It could be something as simple as buying a person coffee or lunch, even if remotely, helping them with an errand or just listening. Harness technology for good. For example, reach out to a friend on social media that you see or know is struggling and message them to check in and see if they're okay. And five, remember that kindness starts at home. When you are struggling, show yourself grace and compassion and considering consider opening up to others. Vulnerability can feel difficult, but it can also make room to connect with others over shared suffering in difficult times. So I really like this article for a lot of reasons. Um, But when he talks about, you know, during a difficult time, how sometimes it brings out the best in people and that we realize in those moments what actually matters. You know, I think about um, when people are given, say, a, a, a life-threatening illness sentence and and come through to the other side of that, and they will often say it was the best thing that ever happened to them. And on one hand, that seems impossible to believe, but sometimes it really brings to light what what's gone astray in their lives, you know, what really matters. Um, you know, they'll, they'll make the decision to reach out to someone who they've had a conflict with or quit the job or leave the relationship or find the relationship or, you know, reconnect with their children, um, whatever it is or that thing that they wanted to do when they were kids that they thought was impossible and they put it on the back burner and 
now they decide if not now, when. And I think that, you know, as, as frightening as this year has been and, you know, how we've seen some really awful sides of humanity, we've off, we've also seen some really wonderful things. Um, I was speaking recently to, to the director of our local soup kitchen, and she had told me that they, they had a whole new crop of volunteers that, that came to the table and that they're still there and they haven't, they haven't left. They haven't missed a day. Um, and when she told me about the way that they completely changed their entire model of service in like literally a week, um, and how not only did did they serve the community that that they were serving daily, but they started bringing meals to um, to people who had who were getting cancer treatment and and didn't want the family members going to the stores. They completely changed their model for delivering prepackaged meals and serving like 900 families in the community. Um, how they got people who are willing to drive to various places in the state uh, to serve other populations. And now, of course, this is this is a woman who has dedicated her life to a, a, a life of service. I mean, that's that's who she is. That's what she does. But other people that that maybe didn't have time for that before or didn't see the the need for it before have also stepped up. And and I think it's made them probably much more fulfilled and happy on a personal level as well. And that's sort of the thing is often when we do things, well, it works in both ways. A lot of times when we do things for other people, then we feel better about our we feel better about ourselves and our place in the world. And also when we turn that self-compassion on ourselves, then we often have more to give to others because we're not constantly pulling from a, a dry well. So, you know, when he when he says once, you know, once we can um, return to some semblance of normalcy, will we forget? Will we forget about the communities that we've been serving? And that is a really important question and one that that I am spending a lot of time thinking about. I'm also thinking about the ways in which we have been forced to slow down. And I'm a huge advocate for slowing down uh, our pace of life. And I'm actually in many ways a very fast-paced person. I tend to do things quickly and I, I like change. I don't uh, like to stagnate. Um, but I also see the the absolute necessity in doing things more deliberately, more intentionally, more mindfully. So for example, I think I've mentioned this before, you know, that the, the, the the people that have taken on uh, bread baking or um, gardening or woodworking, you know, part of that 
I'm sure started with people were worried about uh, bread shortages or uh, not being able to get fresh produce. And they're like, oh shit, I need to learn how to do this. I need to, you know, to be able to provide this for my family. And I think it started there. But people are still doing those things, even though the initial uh, threat of things, you know, running out at the store has lessened. So the question is why? And I believe it's because there's a huge amount of pleasure and satisfaction that come from doing things like that. You know, what we've, we've evolved and, um, and become so much, we've, we've brought convenience things into our life that in many ways have been helpful. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do love my dishwasher, for example, but with that, we've lost something. We've, you know, where we've saved ourselves time, we've just crammed it full of shit. <laughs> so, okay, so maybe we, maybe it doesn't take us as long to do our laundry or to, um, you know, to, to make, to make bread or to, um, I don't know, uh, clean our house, you know, we can outsource these things. You can, you can get somebody to do it for you, or you can, you know, get one of those vacuums that, that robot vacuum (laughs) goes around your house. Um, You can, you know, you can outsource your, your dry cleaning or your, um, your yard work or whatever, you know, all the things. But usually what happens then is that we have to, then we have to fill that time and people often fill it with work or they fill it with scrolling mindlessly through social media or through watching TV. Um, You know, not very, not very enjoyable things. If you outsource those things and then do something that you love, well, that's something different. (laughs) But if you outsource those things just to commute more or stay at work later or, um, you know, or keep track of everyone through social media, well, maybe that's not actually adding a whole lot of value to your life. And I think that there's something so grounding about doing those things by hand. And um, spending time doing things that don't cost a lot of money, like hiking or getting your hands in the dirt in your yard or not plowing through your house cleaning in a speed, you know, in a total rush because you only have a half hour to do it. But like actually taking your time and not treating, I think we tend to treat a lot of these things as very mundane tasks, tasks that we're above. Um, But there's a lot of satisfaction that can come from simple things. And I definitely believe that we've lost something by not valuing the time it takes to really cook a proper meal or to, um, you know, take care of your herb garden or your flowers or whatever. Or even, even you know, I think about people that um, 
that really like to work on cars. And I know nothing about cars, but I imagine that it's a lot harder these days because there's computers and all kinds of things that, you know, I think about like my grandfather or my uncles and, you know, they were always taking apart cars. They didn't, they weren't mechanics. They didn't have, they didn't go to school for that. They just understood how things worked and they figured it out. But I think that's a lot harder to do. But I also think they got a lot of joy and um, and satisfaction from spending that time together working on whatever piece of shit car that they happened to have at the time. So I guess that's been, those are the things that have been running through my mind of, are we going to give up the simple things that we've learned are actually gratifying and help us to slow down and take a deeper breath and just like putter? I'm a big fan of puttering, of just doing things for the sake of doing them. Not because there's any, you know, fancy end goal, just because it's pleasurable to do it. Um, And also, will we continue to work for the causes that we realize need, need our time and energy? And I think, um, I know I fall into this trap of there's so many things and you feel like you have to um, put your, your, throw yourself into all of them because they're all important. But that definitely is a trap because you are only one person. So I think it's okay to say, all right, I acknowledge and accept that all these, all these things matter. But what, where can I contribute? And pick one or two and put your energy there and trust that someone else will find those other causes to be, to be the, what they're most passionate about and then let them do that work there. You know, so whether it's social justice, whether it's the environment, whether it's healthcare or education or, you know, homelessness or, um, anything, fill, fill in the blank. I mean, there's, there's so many, uh, there's so many causes and, um, movements and efforts that are happening and that need to continue to happen, but we can't do them all. So choose the one that feels most, I don't know, the one that you're the most connected to and allow yourself to put your energy there. And I think we have to resist the urge to stop doing those things because oh well now things are now things are normal again so let's let's put in more time at work and let's put in um you know more things into the calendar and and just start or let's shop more, you know. No. We have to resist the urge to drive to the mall to buy some nonsense that we don't need and remember, oh yeah, there were studies done that showed that air pollution had drastically improved when things shut down around the world. Like that's, that wasn't, 
that wasn't by accident. You know, we we started to do some good. Let's not undo the good that has happened and that has started. So that's where my head is. And, uh, you know, as I, as I do my interviews moving forward in this season, one of the questions, the question that I end on is after this year, what are you ready to let go of and what are you ready to embrace or continue embracing as we move into the, this next phase? And I think it's a question worth asking oneself and, uh, If you have any thoughts about that, I would like to hear them. So with that, on this rainy day, I am actually going to go bake some bread and clean my house and make a cup of tea and read (laughs) because, oh, and cuddle my cat. She's actually right behind me being incredibly adorable in her bed. So I hope that today you find something equally mundane (laughs) but also joyful to do. And, um, and if there's a place for you to extend your kindness or your energy or your compassion, I hope that you do that as well. So with that, I look forward to my next interview and I hope you will join me for that. Take care. Thanks so much for listening feel free to visit me at curiositycuredthekate.com. And don't forget to subscribe. I really appreciate you being part of the conversation. Till next time.